You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, this is it, Rock, the season right here on this fourth down play. How many times have we said that on this drive? Rodgers in the shotgun, three receivers left, one to the right. Packers need at least seven yards to move the chains. Rodgers gets the snap. Blitz is on. Rodgers scrambles He's left, winds Brandon up. Rainbow. Cobb. He's got Cobb in the 10 to the 5 yes. to the end zone. Touchdown and a dagger. Oh, my goodness. An NFC North Division Championship dagger of 47 yards. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin, and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. And remember to get this show every day. Subscribe to Locked On Packers on the new Himalaya podcast app in an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Packers if you haven't already. I was traveling, and that screwed up our scheduling a little bit, and that means that we had a show that didn't hit on two major pieces of news in the Packerverse, and that is Randall Cobb is now a Dallas Cowboy, and Clay Matthews is a Los Angeles Ram. And I want to talk about the Cobb bit in particular, but let's start with Matthews. And we're going to get to our conversation about the the idea that the Packers have to draft players who can help them in year one. We're going to get to that a little bit later in the show. Given the money that Clay Matthews got in Los Angeles, and there were a lot of people who were, who were talking about, oh, why aren't, why aren't the Packers, why is no one interested in Clay Matthews. Why don't they want him back? So let's start here. He was never going to come back as an inside linebacker. Didn't want to do that. And the Rams are not going to play him there. They're going to play him probably a little bit of everywhere. They're going to let him rush on the inside and they're going to let him come off the edge. But the edge is where he's going to live. He's going to be an outside linebacker. But he got he got a two-year deal. And that suggests that they valued him and that there was money out there other teams wanted to spend on him. Great for Clay Matthews. I, I wish him well. I hope he has success. And I think on a team like that, he doesn't have to be great because they have Aaron Donald uh, and they have other players that, that can make plays. He doesn't have to be the guy who is called upon as the number one pass rusher like he was in Green Bay when they just they couldn't find anyone else. They couldn't consistently get production anywhere else. So if this is the number, if this is what Clay Matthews is worth, and I'm not convinced it is, then Green Bay was just never going to pay this to bring him back. They can't afford it. When we talked yesterday about their financial situation, they would have had to move players 
to be able to pay this. And maybe he would have taken a hometown discount, but he's going home. He's going back to Southern California. He's going to get to play in the Coliseum where he played his college ball. I don't think he would have taken, if if he was going to take less, it was going to take a marginal amount less. This was never something that Green Bay could take. But I think it also puts some perspective into the deals that Green Bay signed. The, the money for Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith suddenly doesn't look as crazy when someone like Clay Matthews is getting the amount of money that he got. He got $8.3 million, two years, $16.75 million. So we don't know exactly what the, what the terms of the contract look like right now, but to get that much money and look at what Green Bay got their players for I think it makes what Green Bay did look a little bit better, especially when you consider that if the APY is something close to what it looks like, if it's something in that $8 million range, that's less than than what the Packers are going to play press, pay Preston and Zadarius Smith in year one of their contracts. So not only did the Packers sign contracts for better players, but their 2019 cap hits are going to be smaller. Now, the 2020 cap hits are going to be a lot bigger, but that's something that Green Bay is, 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 I think, willing to live with because they are getting their 2019 contract at such a reasonable number, and the cap's going to go up. It's going to go up 10, 15 million, maybe 20, depending on you know revenues and all of the things that go into that cap. This was never something that Green Bay was gonna was gonna entertain. The Randall Cobb deal is in some ways similar. Randall gets one year five million in Dallas, and I I was defending him on Twitter because after looking at you know I I know I'm picking on the Bills, the contracts that they gave John Brown and Cole Beasley, I I don't want to say they're indefensible, but I just don't understand them. When Randall Cobb is healthy and on the field, he is better than either of those dudes. And I understand that he's not always on the field, and that's part of the issue. But 16, 16, 15, 13, 9 games the last five years. And only one, really, where he had to miss extended time. I know he's not what he used to be. He's not what he was in 2014. He can still play. And in an offense in Dallas that isn't going to ask him to do a lot. Amari Cooper is the focal point of that offense. Michael Gallup is their emerging number two. Cobb is going to play in the slot, and he's going to perform a role for them. That's what they need him to do. To get him at that number, when you look at the numbers that Cole Beasley got and John Brown got to get $7, 9000000 million or on long-term deals, my only thought here is that Cobb wanted to go to a good team, compete for a title, rehab some of his value, be healthy. He's going to get to play indoors in Dallas, subject himself to fewer of those um, bad field situations, although Washington, Philly, and New York are going to have their share of those as well. But New York is field turf at the very least. Um, But this is a smart move for Cobb. Of the places he could have gone that give him the best opportunity to get targets there's no guarantee Michael Gallup is going to take a year two leap and there's no guarantee that Amari Cooper is going to be able to sustain his success from late last season in fact he's almost certainly not going to do that 
but Dallas is a marquee franchise, and if Cobb has a solid season, everyone is going to notice. And and it may sound silly to, to frame it that way, but that matters. The narrative matters. If he does well and he plays on a couple national TV games and he makes big plays in those games, the narrative is going to follow him. And teams care about that kind of stuff. They really do because they have to sell these moves to fan bases. If he plays well, that could be someone Dallas gives a big contract to. Randall Cobb knows that. If he has a good season, Jerry Jones is going to open up the pocketbooks even if he has to pay Dak and Zeke because that's just the kind of guy Jerry Jones is. And if he doesn't, you played for a marquee franchise in a bunch of big games on national television. You're going to get plenty of exposure. You're going to have fan bases, if you play well, clamoring to get you. And you're going to have owners who are not as involved in the scouting process who might, shall we say, have more of a casual interest in studying the games. They're watching Monday Night Football. They're watching Sunday Night Football. They're watching America's Game of the Week. If Cobb goes out and makes plays... That could create some momentum for him, and it's it's a really good move for Dallas. And you say, okay, why didn't the Packers do this? Well, number one, the slot receiver position is not nearly as important for, for Matt LaFleur's offense than it, as it was for Mike McCarthy's offense. So they didn't need to prioritize that kind of skill set, that win early and create kind of player. And he also doesn't have the speed down the field anymore to get into a lot of the vertical concepts that this team is going to want to run. Just not an ideal fit. You've got the young guys. You've got Devontae Adams. You get Geronimo Allison on a one-year deal that is not the free agent tender anymore. It sounded like there were a lot of teams interested in Geronimo, and as a result, the Packers ended up having to give him a new contract, a one-year contract, a prove-it deal of sorts. And I think at this point in their respective careers, you'd rather have Allison on that one-year prove-it deal. If he proves it, you can pay him, and if he doesn't, he walks. But the guys Green Bay already has, they can fill that vertical passing game role. They can create down the field, and they still have the opportunity to get another tight end, to get another receiver, to get a receiving running back in the draft to to fill out the offensive weapons on this roster. I understand being sad, about Randall Cobb and Clay Matthews no longer being on this team. In fact, a message Kevin Green gave to Clay Matthews is in the intro to this show, in the Super Bowl. It is If you didn't know where that drop was from, and you never watched the NFL films on the Super Bowl the Packers won in the 2010 season, right before Clay Matthews makes that play to strip Rashard Mendenhall, he reads the play, makes the play, forces the fumble, and it turns the tide of the game. The Packers don't win that Super Bowl without that play. It was a huge play. Clay Matthews is going to go down as an all-time great Packer and had injuries not prevented him from sustaining the success he had early in his career. We're talking about a pro football Hall of Fame player. As it is, he's a Packer Hall of Fame player all day. So is Randall Cobb. And, and you wish for Randall's sake that, that he could have won a Super Bowl in Green Bay. I don't have to expect you to wish that he does it elsewhere, but both of these guys were leaders on this team. They were leaders in the community. They were pillars of this franchise, of this organization, and they always carried that ambassadorship with a full heart, 
with an understanding of what that meant, of what it meant to be a face of the Green Bay Packers, what it meant to the community, what it meant to the league as a whole. It It is different in Green Bay. It just is. And they understood that. They always understood what the burden of that was, of the what the weight of that was, and they took it with a plume. And while their contributions, I think, can be not only replicated but improved upon at their positions in 2019 and beyond, their loss is felt on a leadership level, it's felt on a community level, and as a franchise level, these were valued members of the Green Bay Packers and the Green Bay Packers community. And it's okay to be sad to see them go. Now, after free agency, we had a discussion on this show about how the moves affected what the Packers could, would, and should do in the draft. And the conclusion that I drew was that it wasn't so much that it was going to it was going to change their approach. It was that it freed them up. It gave them more flexibility. There was not the same pressure to find impact players at specific positions now that free agency has at least first, second wave come and gone. They got edge rushers. They got a safety. They got an offensive lineman that can at least be competent, we think, at right guard. So where are the holes on this team? Well, most of them, if not all of them, frankly, are either backups or they are positions that need to be filled in 2020. And and that's not to say that there aren't places where if Green Bay drafts a good player, they can't get an upgrade. There certainly are those positions. I think, you know, if you look at the positions where they can't probably draft an upgrade, they're not going to get an upgrade at quarterback, probably not going to get a better receiver than Devontae Adams, probably not going to get a better running back than Aaron Jones, not going to get a better nose tackle than Kenny Clark, not going to get a better cornerback than Jair Alexander, especially in a weak class, not going to get a better left tackle than David Bakhtiari, and they're just not going to draft a center. So the Corey Lindsley thing is kind of moot. At basically every other position, they could draft a player who, in a year or two, takes the job of the current starter. So let's just let's just put that there. And so Green Bay has a lot of potential upgrades to be made long term. But there are very few positions you can point to on this roster and say, if Green Bay drafts this person at this position, they're likely going to start and play 50, 60 percent of snaps in 2019. Where are those positions? Barring injury, they have an offensive line. Barring injury, they have a group of running backs, a quarterback, a group of receivers. They have a starting tight end. We don't know how much they're going to play two tight ends, but they have Graham and Mercedes Lewis. How much is a rookie at a very difficult position to learn and adjust to going to play as a rookie? Well, that's the whole offense. All right, now to the defense. They have Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, and Dean Lowry. It sounds like they have interest in bringing Muhammad Wilkerson back. They have Montrevious Adams. Unless they get someone like Ed Oliver, how much would a defensive lineman play? Green Bay has Blake Martinez and just been a high pick on Oren Burks. How much would a linebacker play? They have a ton of 
cornerbacks. We talked about cornerbacks earlier in the week. Unlikely one of those guys, barring injury, is going to play early. Really, the only place, and and obviously outside linebacker Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith. Now, you always want a rotation. But again, there's no guarantee that even if you get someone at the 12th pick, even Brian Burns, if he comes in, there's no guarantee he's going to play ahead of Kyler Fackrell. There's no guarantee he's going to come in and play even 40% of snaps, much less 60 or 70. He's probably not going to play starter snaps, even if it's the case, and I think it is, that Zadarius Smith and even Preston Smith at times are going to play inside. The only place that I think you can make the case where Green Bay is going to draft someone and they're going to come right in and start as a preferred starter is safety. They could draft a safety and decide, listen, Josh Jones, you're a linebacker. That's where you're going to play. We're not even going to bother dealing with you as a deep cover guy. You're going to play linebacker. Really, anywhere else on the field, they're going to have to sit. So this notion that I think is is really strong in certain uh, fans' minds that they have to get someone who's going to come in and start in 2019, I just don't understand the thinking. The likelihood of that happening is just small. Just given the current construction of this team, it's just unlikely to happen. Now, it certainly is the case that injuries happen to every team. They happen to the Packers, obviously. And you need to plan for those eventualities. And they are thinner at some positions than others. Inside linebacker is one of those positions. Safety is certainly one of those positions. Offensive line, one of those positions. And I think, you know, tight end, clearly one of those positions. You can never have too many pass rushers. You can never have too many corners. And you can never have too many receiving weapons. The question, and... and you know, when I talk about finding the player who's going to impact your team the most, that's always the mantra here. Find the player in the draft that's going to impact your team the most, but that is not just the player who's going to impact your team the most in 2019. It's the player who's going to impact your team the most over the life of his rookie contract in order to earn a second contract. So, Brian Bulaga does not have a contract beyond 2019. Green Bay is going to need a right tackle. Jimmy Graham does not have a contract beyond 2019. Either does Mercedes Lewis. Green Bay needs at least one, maybe two tight ends. Tremont Williams does not have a contract beyond 2019. They need another safety. Geronimo Allison does not have a contract beyond 2019. They might need another receiver. And so every other position, they have at least answers that are going to be there over the course of a rookie contract. They are not as big of priorities. Now, if there's someone there that you just can't pass on, a talent that you just can't pass on, you take them. Speaking of, Mike Daniels, not under contract beyond 2019. If Ed Oliver is there at 12, I wrote about this, I think it's a no-brainer. You pick him, he's a top five talent in this draft interior pass rush and drafting at Oliver by the way would allow you to play Zadarius Smith more as an edge rusher in sub package situations and mitigate the need to draft another outside linebacker because they've already dedicated tremendous resources to that position 
That doesn't mean they're not going to draft another player there. I think they will, honestly. But what I think it means is at 12, you start to look at Jonah Williams if he's there, Juwan Taylor if he's there, even Dalton Reisner if he's there. Just because those guys are probably not going to start, or at least preferably not going to start, you want Brian Bulaga to play 16 games, doesn't mean that they can't be the pick. And at 30, Chris Lindstrom is going to be a popular player in that spot because Green Bay needs a right tackle, and he is ultra-athletic. He's really, really good, can play guard or tackle. And whether Billy Turner is a long-term solution at either guard or tackle fully remains to be seen, but he's being paid like it. So if he's a tackle, great, Lindstrom can play guard. If he's a guard, great, Lindstrom can probably play tackle. So Green Bay has to be planning for these eventualities. It's why at 12, someone like Devin Bush, Blake Martinez is up in a year. If he can't show a little bit more consistently, if he can't show a little bit more consistency, if he can't show a little bit more playmaking, if he is on the hot seat, as it were, then then Devin Bush at 12, go for it. It's why I think TJ Hawkinson, I've come around a little bit on him at 12, given the construction of this team. Maybe he is the player, if he's George Kittle, that can impact this team the most over his rookie contract because of the other players already on it. But worrying about who is going to help in 2019 is not doing this right because the the window has to be bigger than that. Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback for the next four years, at least. He wants to play longer than that and is under contract. You can't just worry about 2019. You have to worry about what this team is going to look like in 2020 and 2021 when the cap hits for guys like Zadarius and Preston Smith get a lot bigger. And you have to have good young talent on your team to fill in on the edges, to fill in the roster. Because you're not going to be able to pay everyone. Not with Aaron Rodgers' contract, not with Zadarius Smith's contract, not paying two big-time contracts to edge rushers. So they have to find players in this draft that are going to impact the game on that rookie contract. But that doesn't mean just looking at 2019. It has to mean looking at 2020, at 2021. In fact, they're unlikely to need the, the contributions of these rookies in 2019, and I think far too many, and I include media, I include fans, I include myself at times. They look at the potential of a rookie and think, man, he can be so good. He can come in and he can supplant incumbent mediocre starter X. Forgetting most rookies are bad. And only remembering the few rookies that are really good. Remember, Jair Jair Alexander was really good last season. He was also hurt. He also missed games. This is an unreliable game. So you have to be willing to say it's unlikely that a rookie is going to come in and give you major contributions. How often do teams go far in the playoffs in the postseason where they're relying on a bunch of rookies and 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 saying, you know, this is this was the plan all along. It, it happens every once in a while, but usually those rookies are playing because preferred starters got hurt. It's rare that you go and win an NFC Championship game or, or a, a Super Bowl and you've got five, six, seven, eight rookies playing and, and starting and that that was the plan from the jump. And the reason is because if those rookies were starting from the beginning of the season, you probably aren't a very good team. 
Now, maybe by the end of the year that changes, but Green Bay has fortified this roster. The guys they draft, even the two first-round picks, are just unlikely to play a ton of snaps in year one. Even in an outside linebacker rotation, even in a tight end situation where you don't have superstar guys, the Packers have players, barring injuries. These rookies are not going to be relied upon. The reality is there are injuries, and they don't have long-term answers at a handful of positions beyond 2019. That is so much more important than the impact in 2019 that Green Bay has to be taking that viewpoint into account, and their drafts historically say they are. They consistently address positions a year early knowing that they may have to move on from certain players or they may need certain players in the future. And so they say, okay, we're going to take these players, let them develop for a year, and then we'll know, can we move on from these other players? And they make a decision that way. It is the smart way to build teams. And I think we we often overstate the impact rookies can have in year one. Green Bay doesn't. They get it. And they plan to build this team the right way. They, they have not always hit on those draft picks, but at least the intent is there. All right, we'll be back next week uh, for all of the, uh, the latest with the Packers digging into the draft a little bit more. Hopefully we're going to get those uh, Zedarius Smith free agency look scheduled. A lot more coming interviews on the draft. I want to break down a number of these key positions. And, and bring in some guests who can explain it maybe better than I can, uh, what to look for, why these traits are important, what, what different words mean when we talk about players. I want to break the wall down between the, the people who use the, the scouting jargon and the NFL jargon and, and the casual fan. I don't expect everyone to know every word. I don't know every word. I'm still learning every single day. So it's just as fun for me to talk to these guys because they know. They know the intricacies that I don't and that you don't. And that's my my role is to bring that to you. So I'm going to do that as best I can. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. And you can subscribe. I would love it if you would subscribe to the show on the new Himalaya podcast app. But you can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And if you get in the car, tell your smart device to play Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that. 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers.